0: Peter Pan by James Matthew Barry Chapter 4 The Flight Second to the right and straight on till morning. That Peter had told Wendy was the way to the Neverland. But even birds carrying maps and consulting them at windy corners could not have cited it with these instructions. Peter, you see, just said anything that came into his head. Well, he's an impulsive person. At first, his companions trusted him implicitly. And so great were the delights of flying that they wasted time circling around church spires or any other tall objects on the way that took their fancy. Well, yeah, that's quite about right. You trust people and you trust them implicitly, especially if they tell you something with great confidence. I mean, that's that's a human tendency, I'd say. John and Michael raced. Michael getting a start. They recalled with contempt that not so long ago, they had thought themselves fine fellows for being able to fly around, ro- around a room. Not long ago, not long ago, but how long ago? They were, be- they were flying over the sea before this thought began to disturb Wendy seriously. John thought it was their second sea and their third night. Sometimes it was dark and sometimes light, and now they were very cold and again too warm. Did they really feel hungry at times, or were they merely pretending because Peter had such a jolly new way of feeding them? His way was to pursue birds who had food in their mouths suitable for humans and snatch it from them, and the birds would follow and snatch it back and they would all go chasing each other gaily for miles, parting at last with mutual expressions of goodwill. But Wendy noticed with gentle concern that Peter did not seem to know that this was rather an odd way of getting your bread and butter, nor even that there are other ways. Nor even that there are other ways. Oh, well... How do you express to someone who hasn't had any experience otherwise that there is a different way to do things and let them get convinced about it? Certainly, they did not pretend to be sleepy. They were sleepy. And that was a danger. For the moment they popped off, down they fell. The awful thing was that Peter thought this funny. There he goes again, he would cry gleefully as Michael suddenly dropped like a stone. Save him, save him! cried Wendy well I mean that's that's a pretty childish behavior if you think about it. you don't really think about what will come next. you're only happy about whatever has happened or what is happening. you don't really care about consequences, but should you who knows? Save him, save him, cried Wendy, looking with horror at the cruel sea far below. Eventually, Peter would dive through the air and catch Michael just before he could strike the sea. And it was lovely the way he did it. But he always waited till the last moment. And he felt it was his cleverness that entrusted him and not the saving of human life. Hmm. Also, he was fond of variety. And the sport that engrossed him, one moment would suddenly cease to engage him, so there was always the possibility that the next time you fell, he would let you go. He could sleep in the air without falling, by merely lying on his back and floating, but this was, partly at least, because he was so light, that if you got behind him and blew, he went faster. Do be more polite to him, Wendy whispered to John when they were playing, follow my leader, (laughs) why would you want that because you're scared of him because he holds more power than the others or if you like him both are possibilities but I think Wendy was a bit scared because she could save Michael then tell him to stop showing off said John When playing follow my leader, Peter would fly close to the water and touch each shark's tail in passing, just as in the street. You may run your finger along an iron railing. They could not follow him in this this with much success, so perhaps it was like showing off, especially as he kept looking behind to see how many tails they missed. You must be nice to him, Wendy impressed on him, her brothers. What could we do if he were to leave us? Yeah. So it's clear now. You have to be nice because you're scared. Ha ah, pretty much like a dictator. Uh or anyone would bar to be honest. We could go back, Michael said. How could we ever find our way back without him? Well then we could go on, said John. That is awful that is the awful thing, John. We should have to go on, for we don't know how to stop. Always have an exit strategy. Perceive the problems that you might perceive, that you might face in the future, and have an exit strategy for those problems. And then there's a lot of effort, and you don't really know which problem you're going to face, right? I mean, it's nice in theory to say that, well, perceive your problems and then create exit strategies, but how much effort are you going to put into it? You don't even know whether that's going to happen unless. I mean, how do you even evaluate the probabilities to that? What, what are the weights you should attach to it? How much effort should you put into an event, let's say, that has a probability of occurring of one in a million? Should you really care about it? How do you even know that that has a probability of one in a million? How do you know the distribution you selected is correct? Those are the problems of life. That is the, the awful thing, John. We should have to go on, for we do not know how to stop. This was true. Peter had forgotten to show them how to stop. John said that if the worst came to worst, all they had to do was to go straight on. For the world was round, and so in time they must come back to their own window. Okay, that's fairly smart but wrong, but still smart nonetheless. And who is to get food for us, John? I nipped a bit out of that eagle's mouth pretty neatly, Wendy. After the twentieth try, Wendy reminded him, and even though we became good at picking up food, see how we bump against clouds and things. If he is not near to give us a hand, Indeed, they were constantly bumping. They could now fly strongly, though they still kicked far too much. But if they saw a cloud in front of them, the more they tried to avoid it, the more certainly they did they bump into it. If Nana had been with them, she would have had a man round Michael's forehead by this time. Peter was not with them for the moment, and they felt rather lonely up there by themselves. That's what another leader does. Uh, That's what a leader does. That's another thing that a leader does. Make themselves important. He could go so much faster than they that he would suddenly shoot out of sight to have some adventure in which they had no share. He would come down laughing over something fearfully funny he had been saying to a star. But he had already forgotten what it was or he would come up with mermaid scales still sticking to him and yet not be able to say for certain what had been happening it was really rather irritating to the children who had never seen a mermaid and if he forgets them so quickly when argued how can we expect that he will go on remembering us indeed sometimes when he returned he did not remember them at least not well Wendy was sure of it. She saw recognition come into his eyes as he was about to pass them the time of day and go on. Hmm. She saw recognition come into his eyes as he was about to pass them the time of day and go on. Once even she had to call him by name. I'm Wendy, she said agitatedly. He was very sorry. I say Wendy, he whispered to her. Always, if you see me forgetting you, just keep on saying, I'm Wendy, and then I'll remember. Of course, this was rather unsatisfactory. However, to make amends, he showed them how to lie out flat on a strong wind that was going their way, and this was such a pleasant change that they tried it several times and found that they could sleep thus with security. Indeed, they would have slept longer, but Peter, tired quickly of sleeping, and soon he would cry in his captain voice, "'We get off here!' So with occasional tiffs, but on the whole rollicking, they drew near the Neverland. For after many moons, they did reach it. And, what is more, they had been going pretty straight all the time, not perhaps so much owing to the guidance of Peter or Tink, as because the island was looking for them. It is only thus that anyone may sight those magical shores." You can only reach Neverland if Neverland comes out looking to you. You can't reach Neverland if you go out looking for it. What purpose does that serve for Neverland? Well, for one, only people that Neverland believes should belong there can go there. But on what basis does Neverland select people? Clearly, it's only been selecting boys, up to this point at least. And these boys never appear to grow up. So Neverland is essentially a place that doesn't let children grow up. And what doesn't let a children grow up is, of course, a lot of comfort. Comfort breeds complacency. At least that's what they tell us. There it is, said Peter calmly. Where? Where? Where all the arrows are pointing? Indeed, a million golden arrows were pointing it out to the children, all directed by their friend, the son, who wanted them to be sure of their way before leaving them for the night. <laughs> Wendy and John and Michael stood on tiptoe in the air to get their first sight of the island. Strange to say, they all recognized it at once, and until fear fell upon them, they hailed it, not as something long-dreamt of and seen at last, but as a familiar friend to whom they were returning home for the holidays. John, there's the lagoon. Wendy, look at the turtles, burying their eggs in the sand. I say, John, I see your flamingo with the broken leg. Look, Michael, there's your cave. John, what's that in the brushwood? It's a wolf with, their, with her whelps. Wendy, I do believe that's your little whelp. There's my boat, John, with her side stuff in it. No, it isn't. Why, we burned your boat. That's her, at any rate. I say, John, I see the smoke of the redskin camp. Where? Show me, and I'll tell you by the way, smoke curls whether they're on the warpath. They're just across the mysterious river. I see now. Yes, they are on the warpath right now, right enough. Well, the island changes itself to the children that come to it. What is this magical place? Peter was a little annoyed with them for knowing so much, but if he wanted to lord it over them... His triumph was at hand, for have I not told you that anon fear fell upon them? Anon, anon fear fell upon them. I don't know what that is. It came as the arrows went, leaving the island in gloom. In the old days at home, the Neverland had always begun to look a little dark and threatening by bedtime. Then unexplored patches arose in it and spread. Black shadows moved about in them. The roar of the beasts of prey was quite different now. And above all, you lost the certainty that you would win. You were quite glad that the night lights were on. You even liked Nana to say that this was just the mantelpiece over here. And that the Neverland was all make-believe. Of course the Neverland had been make-believe in those days. But it was real now, and there were no tides, and it was getting darker every moment. And where was Nana? They had been flying apart, but they huddled close to Peter now. His careless manner had gone at last. His eyes were sparkling, and a tingle went through them every time they touched his body. They were now over the fearsome island, flying so low that sometime a tree grazed their feet. Nothing horrid was visible in the air, yet their progress had become slow and labored, exactly as if they were pushing their way through hostile forces. Sometimes they hung in the air until Peter had beaten on it with his fists. They don't want us to land, he explained. Who are they? Wendy whispered, shuddering. But he could not or would not say. Tinkerbell had been asleep on his shoulder, but now he weakened her, wakened her, and sent her on in front. (laughs) He's willing to lose a friend of his for his own gain. That's interesting. Sometimes he paused, paused himself in the air, listening intently with his hand to his ear, and again he would stare down with eyes so bright that they seemed to bore two holes to earth. Having done these things, He went on again. His courage was almost appalling. Would you like an adventure now, he said casually to John, or would you like to have your tea first? Wendy said tea first, quickly, and Michael pressed her hand in gratitude. But the braver John hesitated. What kind of adventure, he asked cautiously. There is a pirate asleep in the pampas, just beneath us, Peter told him. If you like, we'll go down and kill him. All right. That's not very childlike, is it? I do. Suppose John said a little huskily, we were he were to awake he were to wake up. Peter spoke indignantly. You don't think I would kill him while he was sleeping? I would all I would wake him first and then kill him. That's the way I always do. I say, Do you kill many? Tons John said. How ribbing? But decided to have tea first. Well, who are those pirates supposed to represent? People who were once part of Neverland and were banished and never and want to come back to Neverland, but Peter Pan the King but the leader of Neverland doesn't want them to come back? Or is he an instrument of Neverland itself? Interesting. John said, how ripping, but decided to have tea first. He asked if there were many pirates on the island just now, and Peter said he had never known so many. Who is captain now? Hook answered Peter, and his face became very stern as he said that hated word. jas Hook? Aye. Then indeed, Michael began to cry, and even John could speak in gulps only, for they knew Hook's reputation. He was Blackbeard's bosun, John whispered huskily. He is the worst of them all. He is the only man of whom barbecue was afraid. That's him, said Peter. What is he like? Is he big? He's not so big as he was. How do you mean? I cut him off a bit. I cut off a bit of him. You? Yes, me, said Peter sharply. I wasn't meaning to be disrespectful. Oh, all right. But I say, what bit? His right hand. Then he can't fight now? Oh, can't he just... Left-hander, he has an iron hook instead of a right hand, and he claws with it. Claws? I say, John, said Peter. Yes. Say, aye-aye, sir. Aye-aye, sir. Peter has just gone from being a friend to a murderer. To a man who has now called himself a sir, a boy who has now called himself a sir, there is one thing Peter continued that every boy who serves under me has to promise, and so must you, John paled it is this: if we meet Hook in open fight, you must leave him to me. I promise, John said loyally. For the moment, they were feeling less eerie, because Stink was flying with them, and in her light, they could s- distinguish each other. Unfortunately, she could not fly so slowly as they, and so she had to go round and round them in a circle, in which they moved in, moved as in a halo. Wendy quite liked it, until Peter pointed out the drawbacks. She tells me, he said, that the pirates sighted us before the darkness came. "'and got long term out. "'The big gun? "'Yes, and of course they must see her light. "'And if they guess we are near... "'All right. "'Yes, and of course they must see her light. "'And if they guess we are near it, "'they are sure to let fly. "'Wendy, John, Michael. "'Tell her to go away at once, Peter,' "'the three cried simultaneously, but he refused.' She thinks we have lost the way, he replied stiffly, and she is rather frightened. You don't think I would send her away all by herself when she is frightened? To be honest, Peter Pan seems to be a bit of an asshole, if I may say. She thinks we have lost the way, he replied stiffly, and she is rather frightened. You don't think I would send her away all by herself when she is frightened? For a moment the circle of light was broken and something gave. Peter a long, a loving little pinch. Then tell her, Wendy begged, to put out her light. She can't put it out. That is about the only thing fairies can't do. It just goes out of itself when she falls asleep same as the stars. Then tell her to sleep at once, John almost ordered. She can't sleep except when she's sleepy. It is the only other thing fairies can't do. <laughs> Seems to me, growled John, these are the only two things worth doing. Here he got a pinch, but not a loving one. If only one of us had a pocket, Peter said, we could carry her in it. However, they had set off in such a hurry that there was not a pocket between the four of them. He had a happy idea. John's hat! Tink agreed to travel by hat, if it was carried in the hand. John carried it, though she had hoped to be carried by Peter. Presently, Wendy took the hat, because John said it struck against his knee as he flew. And this, as we shall see, led to mischief, for Tinkerbell hated to be under an obligation to Wendy. Well, Wendy's jealous. In the black topper, the light was completely hidden, and they flew on in silence. It was the silliest silence, it was the stillest silence they had ever known, broken once by a distant slapping, which Peter explained was the wild beast drinking at the ford, and again by a rasping sound that might have been the branches of trees rubbing together but he said it was the Redskins sharpening their knives. Even these noises ceased. To Michael, the loneliness was dreadful. If only something would make a sound, he cried. As if in answer to his request, the air was rent by the most tremendous crash he had ever heard. The pirates had fired Long Tom at them. The roar of it echoed through the mountains, and the echoes seemed to cry savagely. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Thus sharply did the terrified three learn the difference between an island of make-believe and the same island come true. Fear tends to do that, doesn't it? When at last, the heavens were steady again. John and Michael found themselves alone in the darkness. John was treading the air mechanically, and Michael, without knowing how to float, was floating. Are you shot? John whispered tremulously. I haven't tried myself out yet, Michael whispered back. We know now that no one had been hit. Peter, however, had been carried by the wind of the shot far out to sea, while Wendy was blown upwards with no companion but Tinkerbell. It would have been well for Wendy if at that moment she had dropped the hat. I don't know whether the idea came suddenly to Tink or whether she had planned it on the way. But she at once popped out of the hat and began to lure Wendy to her destruction. Tink was not all bad, or rather, she was all bad just now. But on the other hand, sometimes she was all good. Fairies have to be one thing or the other, because being so small, they unfortunately have room for one feeling only at a time. They are, however, allowed to change, only it must be a complete change. At present, she was full of jealousy of Wendy. What she said in her lovely tinkle, Wendy could not, of course, understand, and I believe some some of it was bad words, but it sounded kind, and she flew back and forward, plainly meaning follow me and all will be well. What else could poor Wendy do? She called to Peter and John and Michael and got only mocking echoes in reply. She did not yet know that Tink hated her with the fierce hatred of a very woman. And so bewildered, and now staggering in her flight, she followed Tink to her doom. End of chapter. Well, an interesting chapter in which you get a good understanding of Peter and Tink to be honest both of them are characters in themselves Peter is after all a child and he doesn't really care about the future too much because he doesn't know the future exists neither does he remember the past for too long so he doesn't mind Irritating and frustrating other people, as long as he himself is able to derive enjoyment out of it. That's what childhood is about, or should be about. Getting all the intention you require. Peter Pan in that way is desperate for the attention and when Wendy gave the attention to Peter Pan he very much liked it especially since it was coming from the same species unlike in the case of Tink Tink liked Peter Pan quite a bit and probably Peter Pan liked Wendy who knows but Pink was definitely jealous of Wendy. Hmm. Why would you bring a place of imagination to reality? I mean, there's this one thought that always goes through my mind. Be careful what you wish for it might come true. In this case, be careful of what you imagine. Might become true. Neverland was. A child's own creation. It was what existed in their own minds. It was their own personal plaything. There are a few questions. Like. Why did Neverland have to find you? Why are there pirates around Neverland? Besides. And why are the pirates trying to attack the children with Long Tom? I guess we'll get to discover that in the later chapters. That's it for now. All right. End of recording.